Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Hi, everyone. This is Sandy Todd Webster, Ideas Editor in Chief and host of the Idea Fit Pro Show. Today on the podcast, our topic is diversity, equity, and inclusion in the fitness industry. While these are not new terms to most people, the conversation heated up considerably last year and catalyzed change across many businesses. Scores of fitness entrepreneurs and organizations were quick to address the issues. Some have been successful, while others have had missteps. On today's show, which is guest-hosted by IDEA's Event Programming Director, Ryan Helverson, three fitness professionals and DEI experts share their experiences of the past year. They also discuss common mistakes they've seen others make in their DEI efforts and outline what everyone can do to create spaces where all people feel safe, welcomed, and celebrated. Our first panelist is Katrina Pilkington, a fitness and wellness educator who is studying to complete her Master of Science degree in Exercise Science and Health Promotion. She plans to focus on health and nutrition equity. She holds a certificate in diversity and inclusion from Cornell University, and she is a content creator and host of various online video series. Ilya Parker is a physical therapist assistant and ACE certified medical exercise specialist. He is also a grassroots organizer and educator whose work centers on gender, racial, and healing justice. Ilya merged his love for restorative-based movement practices and community advocacy to create Decolonizing Fitness LLC, which is a social justice platform that provides affirming fitness services, community education, and apparel in support of body diversity. Dynasty Hunt is an award-winning talent and equity leader committed to redesigning workplaces with a centered, anti-racist lens. Dynasty leads coaching and consulting designed to support individuals and teams across all sectors to help evolve their workplace equity journey. When she is not pushing for equity in all organizations, she leads fitness programming as a certified group fitness instructor. We are grateful to our panelists for being here today and to Ryan for facilitating the discussion. Let's listen in on their conversation. I'm really excited to to speak with all of you and to hear your thoughts on these very important topics. But before we get into that, I'll kick it off to Katrina to tell us a little bit more about herself. Awesome. Thanks so much for having all of us here. I'm grateful to be in this company. It is amazing to be in a unified human space. Uh, I am actually a wellness educator. When folks ask me what I do, I just try to say wellness educator, but I come from the world of organizational and corporate management about 15 plus years of experience before delving into the fitness industry in 2015. So I like to say last year that all of my worlds have collided and here I am in the space of the fitness industry. I say that with air quotes um, to work on helping make spaces less harmful, more helpful, especially for marginalized humans who need health and wellness the absolute most. Excellent. And Dynasty. 
Great. So I am Dynasty, and I would consider myself to be a racial equity coach, educator, and consultant. So I work with a variety of organizations and workplaces, really focused on how do we think about making sure that oppressive systems are dismantled and centering racial equity in all that we do from all of our structure systems to how we do self-examination systems and beyond. I'm also a certified group fitness coach, uh, which is where my fitness background comes in, and I sit on the board of Women in Fitness Association. Excellent. And then Ilya. Hello. Thanks, everyone, for having me. My name is Ilya, and my pronouns are he and they, which I use interchangeably. And part of my act of decolonizing fitness or practice is to honor the sacred and indigenous land that I currently take up space on, which is CUN and Cherokee territories in North Carolina. And much of my work is just rooted in social justice and survivorship. Uh, as a Black trans masculine person living in the rural South, uh, I've worked as a physical therapist. I've been part of diversity and inclusion boards, and I just never felt that I was truly a part of those spaces. So what I seek to do is merge social justice into diversity, equity, and inclusion spaces. And I am also the owner of Decolonizing Fitness, which essentially is a social justice platform that lifts up marginalized voices and makes mainstream fitness more inclusive to a diverse group of folks. Thank you. Excellent. Well, with that, I think we should just get it kicked off. Now, one of the, you know, obviously we're here to discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion, which has become, you know, buzz terms, though they're not new. They've been buzz terms over the past year. You know, I'm, I would love to hear your input because there's a lot of confusion over what those terms actually mean. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective what they mean to you. And I'll, I'll kick it back to you, Ilya, to get us started. Well, I've always struggled with uh, the, the terms diversity, equity and inclusion, I think, because there's a distinct difference between making sure spaces are safe in workplace environments, as opposed to dismantling structures um, that are in play for folks in social environments. So I understand that diversity means including more people beyond the status quo. I understand that making things equitable is making sure every every person has a, a, a piece of the pie that is specific to the needs of them. And inclusion, I really, really struggle with because although, again, the status quo is important for folks to use their privilege and their access to resources to ensure that folks are included. I also want to push people further to make sure these spaces are welcoming and, and affirming to people and even go so far as to celebrate the uniqueness. I don't want to be included. I want to be, I want to be explored. I want people to understand why my unique identity is important to be in these spaces. Absolutely. So, Dynasty, I know that you focus a lot on equity specifically. Can you, you know, there, there, the term equity and equality, folks tend to use that interchangeably, but that's not correct, right? Can you, can you illustrate the district, the distinction between those two? Yeah, definitely. And I just want to name Ilya, I appreciate what you just spoke about in terms of the inclusion piece, because I think a lot of times there's a lot of focus on that inclusion and belonging. And I think the question people don't ask is, what am I being included to? What are you wanting me to belong to? And do I really want that? And they do not ask individuals. It's namely, you know, here is the dominant culture, here's the dominant practice, and we should do it this way. And it's like, 
oh, maybe I don't want to belong to that. Maybe I do actually do not want to be included in that. So let's ask first. And when it comes to equity versus equality, I think a big piece of this is that individuals really sort of jump in and say, okay, we have created a system that's equal for everyone, but they don't include the historical context. They don't include what has happened historically, what individuals have experienced before you can get to a piece of equality. So before you get to a place of equality, I really do think you have to do the work on equity to understand that everyone has not been given the same starting point. Everyone has not been given the same level of access or power. There's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on in organizations and systems that people do not acknowledge. And so before you can get to equality, you really have to unpack are things actually equity focused for everyone involved, particularly for those who identify in a group that has historically and quite frankly, presently continues to be harmed or marginalized. Absolutely. Katrina, I know you've got stuff to add to that. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one to say I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a jack of all trades and master of none. And I feel like just Speaking in this circle right now in the space that we're in, the reason why I say ditto is because I am not a jack of all trades. I have humans like Ilya and Dynasty in my corner and, and each one of us brings a different piece of this puzzle to this industry. So I agree with what both of these individuals just said because it is truly, I, I've been in the DEI space since 2005. Um, and I know that in the corporate space, it was very much that cookie cutter, fluffy, feel of, okay, I want everybody to belong and let's celebrate these cultural different holidays and such, but the actual elephant in the room was never discussed. Racism was never talked about. We never talked about historic issues that were causing folks to not have equity in those spaces. So to the point of both of these two humans here, we don't want to necessarily think about including ourselves in spaces that are not safe. And belonging is about being welcomed as you are, not in spite of who you are. So that's why I say ditto, but I do totally agree in what these two said. Yeah, absolutely. And Dynasty, you bring up a good point. That's something that is, I've become better educated on recently is that part of inclusion, like you said, I don't know if I necessarily want to be a part of it. You know, thanks for the invitation, but just because you are including me doesn't mean that it's a place for me or a place I want to go. So I think that's a great distinction that you made. Um, Katrina, you also mentioned that, you know, you've been involved in this for quite some time, but over the past year, things have been elevated uh, due to some challenging and terrible circumstances. Now, having been in this space for a while, how have you seen, how is the, uh, the excuse me, the evolution of these concepts changed even in the past year up until now? Well, I think a lot of us are seeing that some of it is changing and some folks aren't budging out of that again, air quotes, DEI, B space, the folks that are changing are realizing that diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging don't matter if anti-racism is not talked about. So I feel like in 2020, what happened was everybody was captive. I say all of us were a captive audience to something that many of us have seen or experienced or just have been privy to, but that for some reason, I honestly can't pinpoint what it was that other folks, particularly, again, air quotes, allies and such are seeing many times for the first time really up close and wanting to be a part of seeing, I guess you could say, what some of these issues are once and for all together. I see more unification. I see more um, of the racism being spoken about and that these systemic issues are being brought to the forefront, not just let's have a bunch of folks in the room, but let's actually talk about what's going on with those folks and find out what's not making their experience fair or okay. Right. And 
Ilya, from your perspective, how do you see this evolution? How has it changed for you? What have you experienced and, and seen with all of this being brought to the surface? Well, there's definitely a paradigm shift, I think, overall in the United States and in the Western realm, a lot of uh, perspectives are being changed. Um, it's a, a higher state of consciousness. But I think what 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 gets lost for me is the fact that a lot of people who typically weren't aware of anti-racism now are just more focused on justice. And so it's a lot of it's a lot of push to change laws. But if we really look at the structure of the way laws are set up, they're always used, manipulated and shift to maintain a power structure. So what's happening in DEI spaces, which I noticed years ago, which I'm, Katrina just lifted up now, is still the, the, the actual shift of hierarchy has not changed. It's just it's the same power structure. It's just, OK, hey, I understand this person was brutally murdered on television for the world to see. So I'm seeking justice, but I don't understand inherently how black people, especially black folks or people of color with multiple marginalized identities are still being targeted specifically. And I think that's what gets lost. And also the other piece quickly is, I've been a social justice advocate for over 13 years now at the grassroots level. And it's always been a trend, especially with the influence of social media. There's always been a trend for folks to attach to the next thing that's out. Just like on Instagram, it was a surge of people following me, a surge of people making donations, a surge of people wanting me to suggest, you know, DNI type work and spaces. And now it's trickled off. It's, it's the same people fighting that fight. And it just turns into another trend and another trend. So with this paradigm shift, I hope that people really understand that it's not just about knowing the language and doing this specific thing in this moment, that it's about really reshifting power structures. Right. Um, so it, we've also seen, you know, individuals like yourselves, companies and, and individuals and organizations reaching out to folks like yourselves asking for assistance. And I know that you all have been working really well with a lot of organizations. Now, there are some that are doing things, we might say the right way, and some that are making some missteps. And I was just curious if you had an example, Dynasty, of, of some things that organizations are doing correctly that are moving it forward in a positive space. Yeah, I think one big thing that comes to mind is getting out of their own way. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of organizations where you've got individuals at the very top of the organizations who do identify as white, we're like, I don't know what to do. And if you're bringing someone into the organization, there are a lot of these same individuals who say, I don't know what to do, come help me. And then you come in to help the organization and they push back on everything you have to say. Well, that doesn't work. If you actually want to change, then you have to listen to the individuals who understand who have been harmed, who are able to talk about what the differences are that need to shift, how power structures need to shift. And so organizations I think who are doing this well are understanding that it takes time, it takes listening, and it takes actually listening to those who understand it, who are able to help you understand how to impact and change things and not questioning everything that's happened. I'm just seeing too many individuals who are being hired in order to be tokenized. Like, look, we hired Ilya, we hired Dynasty, we hired Katrina, and they're going to do all this work. But then you get inside of the conversations and nothing is happening. And I've told some organizations, you know, if you're going to do it as a tokenistic way, then we can't work with you. That's, that's just not how that's going to go. And I think a lot of organizations are, the ones who are doing it right, are starting to understand that they need to get out of the way. 
and they have to make an actual financial investment. We cannot change the structure that you have built over centuries as an organization for $500, just to put that out there. (laughs) So that's another investment. And there's also the... In a lot of ways, organizations will then look to those that are already a part of the organization, individuals who fall into that category. What is your perspective on asking them to, to shoulder the load? Yeah, a couple. I mean, I have a lot of perspective on that when I love that question, right? I'm like, don't do it. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that individuals can, but I think there's a couple of things that come to mind when you're asking that question. One, what's the additional compensation that you are giving an individual inside of your organization to do that? Two, if an individual says no, then respect that and move on, and do not penalize the person for saying no. Because I'm seeing too many individuals feel like they be, they're being guilt tripped, they are being forced or pushed when they're like, I actually live this every single day. I don't want to deal with it and lead on it at work. So I want that choice. So giving individuals the choice. And then if individuals do want to do the work and they don't feel like they have the education or the backing of support, again, that same sort of investment beyond compensation, making sure that you are giving them that investment. And I'll just add one more because I'm on a roll here and I want to just name it (laughs) is so many organizations will say like this person, the organization is going to do it. And the level of where that person is within the organization is at a very junior level or they report to someone who reports to someone who reports to someone. If this matters to you, that individual should be reporting directly to the CEO or even more so the board so that there there is direct access and accountability and that their work is not being completely like mushed down Mm -hmm. under circles and circles of people and layers where they cannot actually affect change. Right. And Katrina, I know you and I have spoken about this, that though an individual may have lived a certain experience that may not make them an expert on how to make change and impact change within an organization. Can you speak to that? Because I know that you're doing this quite a lot. Absolutely. And and I always live by the Maya Angelou quote of do the best you can until you know better. And once you know better, do better. And, you know, just to piggyback off of what Dynasty just said that I nodded my head to a million times, organizations have got to stop assuming that just because somebody is of a marginalized population that they want to do this work and they will do it for free and they will make a difference in your company. It won't work. It hasn't worked. We've been here before. Ilya just spoke about that. It's been a trend before. I've seen it in many organizations where, you know, they bring on even a DEI consultant, you know, getting in their own way, getting very defensive, wanting to do their own thing, create these committees and boards that are 99% employee uh, based and then want to put everybody in a room together and come up with solutions that are just going to make the organization better. It doesn't work that way. There has to be true integral change and many times that means hiring outside help and hiring somebody to come in who is well-versed in these topics to help drive the conversation so that those committees are not necessarily just employee groups. They can be, you know, employee resource groups are great. Affinity groups are great. Those have been very, very impactful in the work that I've done, but that is very different from an actual, again, air quotes, DEI committee. Right. Um, so, of course, we're here within an, a fitness and wellness nutrition organization, and part of the panel that you're going to be a part of will take place at Idea World Virtual this summer. Um, now, can you speak specifically to fitness? Ilya, I know that you've been involved in fitness for quite some time. What mistakes do you see people making, not necessarily like within the organization, but but why do you feel there isn't representation or that, that somebody doesn't feel like they do belong? As you mentioned previously, you don't want to just be included, but to feel like you belong. You know, what are you seeing in the fitness world 
with that regard? I think historically, just like any other institution, it's always rooted in centering white, cis, able-bodied people. And in fitness in particular, it centers thin as an ideal, and it's a merger of diet culture, a toxic fitness culture, which I, which I have aptly named because I think there's a huge difference between uh, mainstream or toxic fitness, which is what most people, that's their first entrance into fitness, as opposed to inclusive fitness, which myself and a lot of other, my comrades, Katrina being one of those who is trying to make this more cohesive space for diverse bodies to be reflected. So what, what you see is trainers adopting lifestyles that they've been taught essentially through their curriculums. Of, of what healthy looks like. And then they're pushing that on clients. They're not checking in with folks. They're not respecting uniqueness. They're not asking questions. They're not even, they don't even care to know about what their client or what their gym members have. And then also when you add the capitalistic piece, that's just the, the society that we live in, it turns into a money-making machine. And again, the same marginalized people on the lower rungs of society will always be left out in every institution. Um, or exploit it as Dynasty and Katrina lifted up. Uh, so that's what I've noticed. Right. And in general, it seems that fitness and wellness has always been for two specific purposes and it's aesthetics and it's health. And both of those things may not be at the forefront of individuals who are seeking out guidance from a fitness professional or taking a group exercise class. It could just be, I just want to have some fun and sweat and dance and enjoy myself. Yet as a, as a, an industry, we've put those two caveats on everybody's experience. Um, Katrina, do you have anything to add? No, I completely agree with that. I feel like, you know, I've talked about this in different spaces with fitness professionals. The, the goal seems to be get certified and be very assumptive. Assume that you know what these clients want, look and assume that based on this client's aesthetic that they are going to fit a mold or a, a cookie cutter type of way of training that is not the way to get somebody's goals. The way to get to their goals is to ask them what they want and to be there as a coach and a guide, that's it. It's not to do a parkour. it's not to sit there and do a medical history and, and assess them, it's to actually work with them and be a friend, a relatable human in order to help them feel healthier because health is not always an aesthetic and it's not always, if any time, a performative focus. Mm -hmm. That you helped me uh, transition and segue well. So. Dynasty, I know you talk a lot about, I follow you on social media, and I know you talk a lot about performative allyship. And I was wondering if you can explain what that is and why it's a problem. Ryan, how much time do we have? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. We can be here for a whole week uh, on performative allyship. You know, if I had to sum it up into a couple of sentences, I would say that performative allyship is that you're not saying what you say that you're going to do. That you put up black squares, you put up quotes, you say that I'm listening and learning, but your actions don't reflect. You say you're committed to racial diversity. And we go to your website and your entire board and your entire team is filled with just white people. And it's really about can you put your money where your posts are is where I like to say, can you put your money where your posts are? Can you put your actual actions where your posts are? And can you actually 
see a difference in what you're doing that's beyond quote unquote listening and learning. I see a lot of organizations right now who have huge social media campaigns, huge marketing campaigns to talk about all that they're doing and how committed they are. And you turn around and you ask one person on the inside and they're like, I haven't seen any of that. I haven't seen one piece of that work. And that to me tells me that it's an immediate signal of performative action. Right. So what you're saying is that it goes a lot further beyond marketing and and the images that people put out there. And actually, like you are saying, put your money where your social space is and hire individuals who are experienced to help the organization do what's right. And oftentimes that is focused far more internally before it becomes an outward type of messaging. I think so. I think there's something about an organization who's putting a ton of messages out there saying that we're committed. And then you turn around the individuals that work on the inside of the organization aren't seeing that same commitment. I almost feel like those organizations shouldn't share anything at all. And I hear that question a lot where organizations say, well, I I feel pressure to say something. You should feel more pressured about the individuals that work inside of your organization who are being harmed actively every day more than you should feel pressured to put up a post. So I encourage, encourage organizations if you haven't started to do the work internally, don't post, don't share. It's another way where you're actually exacerbating the harm that you're already causing versus trying to reconcile and repair what you've done. Right. From your perspective, Ilya, what does it mean to be a true ally? I struggle with that word um, because I I just, I don't think it's something that we can deem people because it's an investment. I think it's important for people as Dynasty lifted up to invest in doing this work, to constantly interrogate and critique the ways that they are showing up and to, to move from a place of always trying to be better and learn and grow. And I think what happens is when people are are any, in any proximity to the word ally, it becomes lazy, it does become performative, and they rest on the fact that they are doing the work. And it's just like, hey, I've taken one trans justice one-on-one workshop and I know all the things, I'm an ally. So I think it's a continuous process and, and I, that's all I got. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. And, it, you know, from the perspective of somebody who is not dealing with this or who hasn't been involved in DEI and then wanting to make changes, but feel a bit overwhelmed with the amount of you know work that needs to be done. Where do people start? Katrina, I'll, I'll give that one to you. Well, just to piggyback what off of what Dynasty and Ilya just referred to when it comes to allyship, I think allyship, accompliship, and advocacy are actions. They're all about verbs. It's not about having a title and centering whiteness to make it this thing that you're achieving is, is to be an ally or an advocate. It's about what you do. I think the biggest thing that folks can do is sit back and stop getting defensive. For me, that's number one. You know, it's really easy for you to have your bubble burst and be like, oh, this can't be true. These historic things that I'm learning are not part of what I was taught. There's no way that this can be true. You have to just take the defensiveness away and be a thousand percent in a growth versus a fixed mindset in order to absorb anything that anybody's going to teach you, whether it's a book. So if somebody wants to get, you know, how to be an anti-racist and read the book, if they're in a fixed mindset, it does nothing. So they have to be in the right mindset to receive the information and be in the right heart place to absorb it. Absolutely. It's it's something that I've learned uh, following Dynasty and all of you actually on social media is that that none of you are sort of, you know, light foot on the subject. You know, you're not walking on eggshells. You are putting it out there saying, this is what's happening. This is what I've seen. And you're making mistakes. And sometimes personally, I'll say that I read some of the stuff and I'm like, ouch. But then I know that if I'm having that 
response, then it means it's triggered something in me that I need to learn more about and get better at. So it's not like you're saying, Katrina, if you feel this way, it's, it's not a negative thing. It's actually a place of growth. You know, you're, you know, it's, it's wounding you in a, in a way that's going to help you be better and, and learn more. So I, you know, I definitely appreciate everything that you all have to say as far as that goes. And one of the topics that now moving a little bit more toward world, the panel at World Virtual this year is the concept of microaggressions. Ilya, I think you're going to speak a little bit on that topic. And I know that you and Katrina have had discussions about that term itself. Um, but can you give our listeners an idea of what that part of the conversation will entail? Well, I just want to be transparent. Katrina literally gifted me a book um, called Subtle Acts of Exclusion, which I actually prefer that term um, over microaggressions. And I've never used the term microaggressions because nothing's micro about it, especially for someone who continues to experience this violence and this harmfulness uh, day in and day out. Um, I do understand the importance of lifting up microaggressions for people who, again, are moving in a place of power and privilege, so who aren't aware, and also linking it to I'm a great person and I, I'm, I'm not doing, um, I'm not a bad person, I just did a harmful thing, so you want to make the distinction, but honestly, I'm not here to coddle people. Again, and I always say, go back to interrogating what, what you're doing, checking your internal biases, making sure that you are completely aware of how you're showing up with any human that you come in contact with. And then that way you'll be a little bit more aware, especially if you have the tools and you're educating yourself, you'll be a little bit more aware of the ways you're moving and how power dynamics shift day in and day out. And so it won't be a need for folks to be so caught off guard. Oh my God, I didn't think I was doing that harmful thing. You would actually know, hey, wait a minute, let me stop that. That comment may have been a little bit off-putting or, hey, wow, the, the way I'm looking at this person, um, I, might, I might need to check my gaze. Why am I staring so long? And so those things will be second nature to you. And we wouldn't even have to call out microaggressions. They're important. Don't get me wrong. But I think if we reframe what power looks like in society and the way folks are are folks in, on, in marginalized spaces are considered the ones that need to move around all of these power dynamics as opposed to the people in power actually checking yourself and watching how you show up and how you treat us. Um, I think that's just an important distinction to make with microaggressions. Absolutely. Um, Katrina, can you just give a brief rundown of what this panel will entail, including what Ilya has just said, what individuals can expect to get out of it and why they absolutely must attend it? Well, all of these humans in this panel are going to be amazing at speaking about their topics, al along with this overlap of our experiences and just listening to our experiences. So we have Ilya here and Dynasty as well speaking on the panel, but we also have Purcell Duggar, who's going to be targeting the topic um, of health disparities in marginalized and Black communities. And then Kenya Crawford, who is a psychotherapist um, in the space of helping marginalized individuals in the LGBTQ plus community with identity. Um, and she's going to be speaking about, you know, the mental health aspect of what we're talking about. And we talk about health being a goal in the fitness industry. Well, mental health is part of that as well, which is why the whole performative aesthetic is not helpful. It's more harmful. So the hope is all of us can share a specific topic, I guess you could say. But my goal is for all of us to overlap and just kind of piggyback off of each other and to shed light on topics that need to be brought to the forefront in this space. Excellent. Um, okay, so we've got to get this wrapped up, but I was just curious if you could give a, you know, I know that this is a big question. These are all big questions and discussions can happen for 
a long time. Like it's not wrapped up in a 25 minute podcast like this. The goal is to get people to think and to understand where they can make improvements. But I was curious if you could just quickly say from your perspective, where do you see this going in the near future? And I'll start with you, Dynasty. I think there's going to be a lot more forced accountability for better, for worse, where individuals and organizations are going to be forced to do this work. Hopefully they will eventually turn that around and want to voluntarily get involved. Uh, but I think we're in a time and place where individuals, teams, organizations, it's no longer you can be behind the scenes and be performative and not do it. There's going to be a lot more calling out and calling in. I believe that's going to happen. That's going to shift people's work. Perfect. Uh, Ilya, I'll, I'll go to you next. I'm already noticing, I think, um, more investment in those of us who are in marginalized bodies actually doing this work and respect as the professionals and experts that we are um, beyond just an exploitative or tokenized voice actually paying us and believing in us. Absolutely. Katrina, you're left. I know it's, you know, I think for a lot of folks, they come into the fitness industry because they feel they have a calling and a purpose to be in a space to help folks with their health and wellness. But now they're actually to Dennessy and Ilya's point being held accountable and they need to look at who do I really need to serve in my demographic and my community in the way in which I'm supposed to be in this space versus what do I want to do? What niche do I want to fit in? It's time to, for lack of a better term, pivot. Right. Well, I just want to thank you all so much for being here. I am entirely grateful to have gotten the opportunity to chat with you about these very important issues. Um, I am thoroughly excited about the panel that you will be a part of at Idea World Virtual this year. Everybody who's listening, you must attend this panel. It's so important, especially with the trajectory that the fitness world specifically is taking. You know, I've it's it's a thing that we all talk about that fitness is for all bodies, all backgrounds. You know, everybody should be included and to Ilya's point, celebrated, not just, you know, brought in and said, you can come join this if you want to. We need to celebrate everybody for being a part of it. So I just want to thank you all again for being here. It's been a great conversation and I look forward to seeing you all this summer. Thank you. Thank you. Got it. We hope you gained some additional insight about DEI issues from today's podcast. Many thanks to my idea colleague, Ryan Halverson, for hosting this week, and to our panelists, Katrina, Dynasty, and Ilya, for sharing their insights and their time so generously. Check the show notes for contact information and other resources mentioned in the podcast. Look for a deep dive about inclusivity in the fitness industry by Chrissy King in our upcoming May-June issue of the award-winning Fitness Journal. If you're looking for more idea content or want to learn more about membership, visit our website at ideafit.com. We also host the Listen and Learn CEC podcast, the fitness industry's first and only audible CEC program. We know how busy you are, so we wanted to provide a handy way to help you listen, learn, and earn credits toward your certification. Each episode contains information from our award-winning fitness journal and has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 certification agencies. You can subscribe to both IdeaFit Pro Show and Idea Listen and Learn CEC podcast at Apple Podcasts and on other platforms. Check the show notes for details. This is Sandy Webster signing off. Until next time, stay positive and keep inspiring the world with your special magic. Don't ever forget that you make a huge difference in the lives of others, and that idea is here to support you in this critical endeavor. 
Thanks for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place.